David, the psalm writer, said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, God, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This morning, I've asked Josh and Chris and Ecamp to share their story with us. Josh and Chris uh, um, share life with our Erlanger Kentucky House Church, and they've been with us now for several months. And their story is, is a difficult one, a difficult one to experience and a difficult one to share. So I'm very thankful for them and their willingness and their courage to sit up here this morning and to share with us um, in a very vulnerable way. And I know their heart and our heart together is, uh, you know, when it comes to the purpose of them sharing their story is not for them to feel sympathy or to receive sympathy in any way. It's, it's really for us to see the goodness of our God. And really for us to see that, yes, God meets us at the peak of the mountain, but he's so good that he will come down the mountain and meet us in the darkest and deepest of valleys. And so I'm going to ask them to come and share this morning. And as they share, I want you to look and I want you to listen for the different ways that God made his presence known and continues to make his presence known to them specifically in their suffering. So you guys come and I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for this couple. God, I know that all things work together for good to them who love you and who you have called according to your purpose. And although many times, God, we don't know the answers or the answer to, the, to our questions of why, but because we hold on to your promises, we know that there is a purpose for our pain. And so, God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the presence of your Holy Spirit, would you fill Josh and Carissa right now in a supernatural way? Would you fill them with your presence? Give them clarity of thought and mind. And that for those of us that hear their story, God, would, would we walk away in love with you more than ever before, knowing that you're so good to meet us, not only at the peak of the mountain, but in the valley even the valley of the shadow of death. God, I thank you for them. Be with them now. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Thanks for um, letting us come and share with you all today. Uh, Pastor Mark did uh, email me a couple of weeks ago and um, just asked if Chris and I would be willing to share uh, some of our story about the ways that God has led us through a uh, time of hardship and a time of suffering in our life. Um, I don't know why he picked us. I assume we just must give off the vibes of where people have suffered or something. I don't know. Uh, so sorry you're stuck with us as your storytellers today. Um, but I do want to assure you that um, it is entirely Pastor Mark's fault. Um, <laughs> then we do need to keep praying that the Lord will give him better spiritual discernment. Uh, but as you said, sharing about suffering is uh, its a hard thing to do. I think first and most obviously, it's because uh, real suffering cuts deep. And it exposes our weakness, and uh, that often means that it exposes places of real hurt and real fear. 
that's a hard thing to talk about sometimes, and that's a hard place to go to. Uh, but secondly, just to be honest, I think that talking about suffering um, can often be uh, opportunity for selfishness and for pride. Um, and let me explain what I mean, because I think all of us have um, had an experience of participating in a contest of who has suffered the most, right? And usually that happens on family gatherings like Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, everybody wants to share a story and see, you know, who has the worst one. Can you top this? Uh, so, you know, I think we've all been there, honestly. Um, you know, we get together with a friend or a family member for coffee or for lunch, and they ask us how we're doing, and we say, you know, today was just a hard day. Work, uh, work's really beating me down. And then your friend shares, yeah, I know just how you feel. My entire week of work has just been terrible. My boss has cussed me out every day. And on top of everything, last night, my pet ferret had a seizure. <laughs> You know, and then the waitress comes up and she says, yeah, that's terrible. My dog had a seizure and then he died. And then, you know, you look over and you're like, dude, is that a potsherd you're scraping yourself with? He's like, yeah, I just used this for, to scrape the boils that came up all over my flesh after a windstorm blew the house down on my 10 children, which uh, happened right after all of my crops burned up. <laughs> which is probably okay because the Chaldeans and the Sabians came and stole all of my livestock anyway. So, uh, and I don't even know what a Sabian is. Uh, you know, and then at that point you're like, well, I'm sorry for bringing up my bad day. Uh, so I don't know why. For some reason, I don't think any of us say that we want to suffer. Um, but I think somewhere inside of us, Many of us want to at least have a good suffering story. Um, and maybe sometimes we use it to get some sympathy for ourselves. And honestly, at least in my life, sometimes I like to use a suffering story because maybe it gives me an opportunity to flex my muscle a little bit and try to convince people of how well I'm doing um, despite what's happened in my life or despite where I come from. Does that make sense? Um, but please know, God help us, that's not our plan for today. Uh, Chris and I don't have any muscles to flex, and I'm sure we are in need of your pity, probably most or all of the time, uh, but we aren't trying to win any pity today by what we share. Uh, today we do just want to give testimony um, that our God is faithful to meet us in suffering, and he's faithful to father us through that. Uh, and we hope that's what you hear today. Um, I'm sure that there are people in this room who have suffered more and suffered harder things than anything that Chris and I can share. So we aren't trying to one-up anyone. Um, and we also know that by God's grace, in the next 30 years of our life, uh, we're probably going to suffer more and harder things than what we've suffered in the first 30 years. But the truth is that our God is going to be faithful to us in those things, um, and his grace is going to be enough. Uh, so the story that we have to share today is about uh, our son, who was born last year, named David Nathaniel, um, who only lived for seven short hours, uh, but seven really short and precious and sweet hours. Uh, so I'm going to let Carissa take over most of the storytelling, because when she shares a story, they usually have a beginning and a middle and an end, 
and they make sense, they have a logical flow, and people understand what she's saying, which is kind of all entirely the opposite of what happens when I try to share a story. Uh, so I'm going to let her share and uh, take the hard part, and uh, then I'll just chip in a couple last thoughts at the end. Um, so this isn't a story that we need to read, but it is emotional, and so we decided it was safer to write it out and read it to you. Um, so here it goes. When we went for our 19-week ultrasound, David was so wiggly that the ultrasound tech couldn't get all the pictures she needed, so we scheduled a second scan for 23 weeks when he was a little bigger. We were glad for another chance to see him. We got to watch David for several hours that day. The ultrasound tech had a hard time getting all the pictures again. After an hour, the ultrasound tech told us that she was still having a hard time getting some of the pictures and wanted to get the perinatologist. The perinatologist entered the room and started telling us about some of the concerns she saw in David's ultrasound pictures. She saw some heart problems. She never saw his stomach. He was measuring smaller than expected, and his little fingers were clenched. She mentioned a few genetic conditions that were possible and recommended we do an amniocentesis. She left the room to give us some time to talk. Josh quickly reminded me that David was in the place he had always been. He was in the Lord's hands. The Lord had made David fearfully and wonderfully, and a genetic diagnosis couldn't change that. The test was no fun, but getting to see David on ultrasound again was precious. They stuck a big needle in my uterus to remove some fluid so they could do some genetic testing. David saw the needle being inserted into his swimming pool and moved over close, trying to figure out what was going on. At one point, he reached out his hand and tried to touch the needle and then moved away quickly when he realized it was sharp. The needle was removed, and there was a stream of blood. The... They kept, the, um, they kept the ultrasound on until the blood stopped. David swam right over to the stream of blood and stuck his little bottom on the spot to stop the blood. This is one of my favorite memories from our ultrasounds. We left the hospital exhausted but trusting in the Lord. The doctors and geneticists told us we would get the results back in two days. As we were driving home that evening, I couldn't stop thinking about how joyful David was as he, was, as he swam around. And the Lord gave me a sweet picture of David um, dancing before the Lord in heaven with an indescribable joy. In that moment, the Lord spoke to me through that picture and reassured me that even if my worst fears came to pass and that David really did die, then David would dance before the Lord and experience true joy. The Lord was with us, and we had nothing to fear, not even death. Just one day later, on February 14th, I got the phone call with the results from the amniocentesis. I wasn't expecting the call that day. She said that she had gotten our results back and said that the news she had to share was really hard. She told me that David had trisomy 18. I knew that was one of the things they were testing for, but since it was rare, it only happens in 0.1% of pregnancies, I didn't think David would actually have it. The geneticist asked if I was okay, and I told her that my hope was in the Lord and that I trusted God completely. I told her that we had prayed and asked God for this baby and that David was a gift from God. I told her that David was fearfully and wonderfully made and that God had a purpose for his life. I got off the phone with her and then completely lost it. I had prepared myself for some possible health problems that were, were, would require surgeries or maybe Down syndrome, but I wasn't expecting to get a diagnosis that most likely meant our baby would die. Josh was working a late shift at the hospital that evening. He wasn't supposed to be home until 9 or 10 or sometimes even as late as 11. I didn't want to break the news to him at work or even by phone, but I couldn't bear to keep the news to myself. 
I sent him a text to tell him that the geneticist had called with the results and that the results were not good. He called me right away, and I told him that David had trisomy 18. We both knew from our doctor visit that day, the day before, that trisomy 18 babies generally don't survive birth. 90% of them pass in the womb, and 10% survive for a few hours and possibly a few days. Only a small percentage make it to a year and beyond. Josh made it home a few hours later. As we sat weeping and grieving over the thought of having to lose our son, we began to think about God's love for us in the gospel. God willingly gave up his son to death so that we, his enemies, could be saved. I took comfort in this. God doesn't change. I knew that God understood our pain and that he loved us and had compassion on us. That night, God gave us David's name. We named him David Nathaniel, which means beloved gift of God. We had a lot of appointments and ultrasounds from then on out. Each ultrasound was precious, and we were thankful for every time we got to see David again. Every ultrasound, we would hope to see David's stomach, but each time, that was the one picture that we didn't get to see. They explained to us that David most likely had esophageal atresia, which means his esophagus was either closed off or didn't connect to his stomach. We kept wishing that in one of the ultrasounds, David would take a big gulp of amniotic fluid and we would see his little stomach, but that never happened. David was fearfully and wonderfully made and dearly loved. Because David hadn't been able to swallow amniotic fluid, my uterus was building up a lot of extra fluid, and I was measuring several weeks ahead. The next several weeks were very hard for us, physically and emotionally. I tried hard not to grieve while David was with me. I worried about how grief would affect him, and so I tried to keep going and did the best that I could to enjoy each day with him and celebrate his life for however long I was able to carry him. It was hard to celebrate life and at the same time be faced with the reality that soon David wouldn't be with us. People would ask how David was doing, and I would respond that David was having fun in his swimming pool and seemed to be doing just fine. It was so hard to see that David to say that David was doing well when I knew in a matter of days or weeks he would be gone. Others would say things like, I heard your doctor's appointment went well, and yes, technically the appointment went well. My blood pressure was good, weight gain was good, David's heart was beating, and we got to see him on ultrasound. All things that we are thankful for, but how could an appointment go well when I knew he was going to die soon? Others had told me things like, it's so good that you live close to Children's Hospital and they will take great care of your baby. And I would smile and try to hold back the tears. People didn't understand. David didn't have a health problem that could be fixed by doctors. Josh and I had a meeting with the head of the NICU and Children's Hospital. He told us that there was nothing they could do to save David and that the best thing we could do was to hold him. People had told me that they were still praying for David's complete that they were praying for David's complete healing, and I was grateful for their prayers and still am. We never doubted God's ability to heal David, but we knew deep down that the Lord was leading us down a different road. I had read miracle stories of trisomy babies who had lived weeks, months, and years, and I wanted so badly to get to take David home and to be his mom for so much longer. But I knew our story would be different. I knew that the Lord wanted to take David home. It was hard to know how to pray. We had already prayed that David would know God, and I knew that God was answering that prayer and that David would know God soon. We had prayed that David would make disciples, but we began to realize that David wouldn't do that in the way that we had imagined. We knew that God would still answer that prayer and that through David's stories, others would come to know God. We prayed for God's will to be done and to give us strength for each day. We prayed that God would let us meet David, but we knew we couldn't put our trust in that. I prayed that God 
or I prayed that Josh would be home when labor started. God was teaching us to lift our eyes and our prayers toward heavenly things because we could no longer cling to earthly hopes. At 30 weeks, my water broke. Josh had just made it home from working a long night shift and had laid his head on the pillow when it happened and answered a prayer. I don't know how people usually respond when their water breaks, but I started to cry. Josh reminded me that the Lord was watching over us and that he was answering our prayers. That weekend, we had just had a conversation and had talked about how we didn't know what to pray for, but we had asked God to lead us, and we knew that this was his answer to our prayers. As we drove to the hospital, I wondered what the Lord had planned for us that day. I wondered if David was okay. I wondered if we had lost him during the night and if that was why my water broke. We made it to the hospital and were quickly admitted. The nurse put the heartbeat monitor on, and I burst into tears when we heard that sweet heartbeat. We weren't sure if we would ever hear that sweet sound again. We were so thankful to hear it and to know that David was still with us. We knew that every time we heard that sweet noise, it might be our last. We got back into our room, and my labor never progressed that day. We enjoyed listening to David's sweet heartbeat all day long. It was a sweet blessing from the Lord that our labor never progressed that day because we really wanted our families to be able to meet David, and the delay in labor gave them time to travel. The delay in labor also gave the doctors time to give me steroid shots to help prepare David's lungs for breathing outside the womb. We needed 48 hours for those to be effective. We had planned to wait for labor to happen naturally, but a few days later, labor was still not progressing, and the perinatologist recommended we induce labor. We did not want to have to make that decision of inducing labor because we knew that inducing labor would mean welcoming David into the world and meeting him, but also having to say goodbye. This was a hard decision for us, but we knew that God was in complete control and that he would take care of us. We decided that we would take a day to rest and prepare, and then we would start labor that Thursday. In our day of waiting, Josh asked me if I knew the date of that Thursday. I didn't. Josh had a- oh, sorry. Josh. Josh told me it was April 6th, which was a special day for us. On that day, back in 2014, Josh had asked me to take a walk and to begin a friendship. We've been walking together ever since, and the Lord has been faithfully leading us. The date was such a sweet reminder of the Lord's faithfulness in leading us over the three years, and it was God's way of reminding us that he would continue to faithfully lead us as we gave birth to David on April 6, 2017. I was thankful thankful that the Lord had planned David's birthday so perfectly and for the reminder of God's faithfulness. The day of waiting went by quickly. We spent the day listening to David's heartbeat and began to get excited to finally meet our beloved gift of God. The next morning, April 6th, they had planned to start the induction. We had two scares that morning with David's heartbeat dropping before we'd even started. We waited a few hours to give David time to stabilize. A few hours later, David seemed to be doing well, so we started the induction. Just a few minutes after we started, we lost David's heartbeat. The doctors and nurses quickly stopped the induction, and after a few minutes, David's heart started to beat again. It became quickly obvious to us that David was too tiny and too delicate to survive the rigor of labor and contractions. Being induced ended up being God's grace to us because we were able to stop the contractions when we realized David couldn't handle them. If my body had gone into labor on its own, we might have lost David in the womb. A few minutes later, we headed in for emergency C-section. I knew in just a few minutes we would either meet David or he would go home to meet the Lord. 
Minutes later, the doctor placed David on my chest. David was tiny, completely blue, and he didn't move or make a sound. I remember looking at Josh and the NICU doctor, waiting for someone to tell me if David was alive. Everyone stood quietly, watching and waiting. I wanted so badly for the doctors to be able to do something, but God reminded me that he was in control and that he was holding us in the palm of his hands, and that's so much greater than, than being in the hands of even the best doctors. About 15 minutes later, David pinked up and made the sweetest and quietest little coos. I didn't think David had made it, and I couldn't believe we were hearing his sweet coos. As David pinked up, we were able to see his red hair. He was covered in preemie fuzz and looked like a little hairy Esau. He was so tiny that we hardly knew how to hold his little one-pound, 14-ounce body. He fit in the palm of Josh's hand. As we were wheeled out of the surgery room, tears of joy ran down our faces as we thanked God for the blessing of getting to meet our precious gift. After meeting David and hearing his sweet coos, I wanted so badly to believe that somehow he was healthy, and that even though he was tiny, that somehow he would be able to make it. A few minutes later, the NICU nurse practitioner confirmed that David wasn't made for this world. This was hard to hear, but God reminded me again that David was fearfully and wonderfully made. We thanked God for the joy of meeting David and settled in to enjoy whatever time the Lord gave us with David. We enjoyed a few minutes with all of our family, and then we spent the day with just the three of us. We took turns passing him back and forth between our arms. Josh began to recite all the scripture he had memorized. Then he read the gospel and the end of Revelations. David listened to it all. He cooed for us a couple more times and peed on Josh twice. <sighs> Those hours were so perfect. David grew quieter over the hours, and his little skin began to look less and less pink. When we knew we didn't have much longer with David, we called for the nurse to help us make sure that he, we were keeping him comfortable until he was home. It was hard to let him go, but towards the end, we could tell he wasn't doing well, and so we prayed, giving thanks to God for our beloved gift, and then we told David it was okay to go home. God is a good father, and he's waiting for you. Then the nurse gave us a nod, and we knew in, in that moment that David had entered the presence of the Lord. We sat wondering what David was experiencing in that moment. We knew that David had experienced his second birth in that moment, and that his loving Heavenly Father had received him home with arms wide open. I knew he was in the same place that he had always been. He was in the arms of his Heavenly Father. That night was a hard night. We knew that David was safe with the Lord, but we missed him so much. The next morning, we held David's earthly temple for the very last time. We, had admired, we admired his tiny little body and tried to memorize every bit of him. It was so hard to say goodbye and to hold him one final time. A week later, we buried David's tiny little body on Good Friday. Our first Sunday back in church was on Easter. The gospel has never been more beautiful and more precious to us than on that day. One of the songs we sang that day was, has a verse with the words, You open the gates of heaven so that we can enter in. I'm so thankful that Jesus opened the gates of heaven and that I can rest assured that David is not in a grave, but in the arms of God in heaven. I'm so thankful that the same God who loved us and allowed his son to die for us is holding us now. In the midst of grief, I'm overwhelmed by God's love. In the weeks following David's death, I began to wonder what motherhood looks like when you don't have a baby to care for. As I reflected back on my time of being a mother, God showed me what motherhood is all about. I never got to feed David, bathe him, clothe him, bring him home, or rock him. All I did was carry him. I carried him in my womb for seven months, and Josh and I held him in our arms for seven hours. We carried David right into the moment that he went to be with Jesus. 
As I reflected on this, I realized that this, that this is the purpose of motherhood, to carry your baby to Jesus. That is what motherhood is all about. All the other mothering things that I missed out on with David are sweet and are necessary in most cases, but the only mothering duty that is eternal is bringing a baby to Jesus. We know that our days of carrying David to Jesus are over, but we hope that God will give us grace to do the same for his little brothers and sisters and for spiritual disciples as well. After David's death, not a day passed without tears streaming down my face. On the way to the grocery store, I often had to stop in the parking lot to finish crying, wipe the tears off my eyes, and then quickly run through the store before I jumped back into the car to cry again. April 6, 2017 is forever on repeat in my mind. The precious moments, the hard moments, all of it still plays over and over again in my mind. The days of grief have been long and hard, but we grieve as those with hope. Not many days after we came home, I came across a verse, Romans 8.18, which says, For I consider the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In my saddest moments, I love thinking about this verse. The sadness, however deep it feels, is nothing in comparison to the glory that David is experiencing. I long for the day that we will experience that glory with him. I'm so thankful that he has finished his race and that his days of suffering are over and that he is experiencing the fullness of joy and glory in heaven. After David's death, Josh and I were reading through the Gospel of Mark. Over and over again, Jesus performs miracles, healing the blind, feeding the multitudes, raising people from the dead. I loved reading stories of parents coming to Jesus to ask for healing for their children. I loved seeing Jesus' compassion toward them and how he must have felt when Jesus healed their children. I know that Jesus came to heal, and he came to show compassion on us. Jesus didn't choose to heal David physically, but he did something even greater. Jesus died on the cross so that David could experience healing for all of eternity. I know that if I could see him right now, I'd truly understand the miracle that Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. My eyes can't see the miracle now, but I look forward with hope to the day when my faith will become sight. For weeks after David's death, I was haunted by the fact that I didn't have a proper burial of clothes for David. Something in my mother heart needed to have him dressed a certain way. I knew it was only his earthly temple that we, were, that we buried, and I knew that he wasn't actually in a grave, but I still wanted him dressed in a certain outfit and wrapped in a warm blanket. Josh and I had planned to go to the store that Wednesday to pick out a preemie outfit and a blanket for us to dress him in, but my water broke that Monday, and we never made it to the store. A few weeks later, the Lord gave me peace and put that thought to rest. The Lord spoke to me and told me that David didn't need to be clothed. Because the Lord had clothed him in his righteousness and had dressed him with the garments of salvation. When Adam and Eve first sinned, God provided them clothing, clothes as a temporary covering for their sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the covering of his righteousness and salvation. I'm so thankful that David is clothed in such a beautiful garment. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I have a few things uh, that I'd like to share. Um, Just that I think the Lord really taught me, taught us both, uh, as we walk through this and as the Lord led us through Um, about sonship, and about fatherhood, and about our hope. 
Um, so first about sonship. I remember so well the day that uh, I came home from working a long night at the hospital and um, like Carissa said, I just crawled into bed and I think I had just fallen asleep when Carissa sat up and said, Josh, I think my water just broke. Um, to which I, I guess like all good husbands, uh, said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, our bed is a swimming pool. Uh, so after we got over kind of the shock of that and I agreed, okay, fine, your water did break. Um, just remember that Carissa looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, this wasn't supposed to happen. And I think that those words really summed up most or well, much of what we'd felt over those last six or seven weeks. So that none of this was supposed to happen. Uh, our firstborn son wasn't supposed to have trisomy 18 or esophageal atresia or tetralogy of Fallot or any of the other diagnoses that got put on him. Um, we weren't supposed to have to deal with any of this. We weren't supposed to uh, have to go to a funeral home and pick out a casket for our son uh, while Carissa was still pregnant with him. Uh, and certainly our water wasn't supposed to break that day. Um, but I share all of that to say this, that there's no name, at least in my opinion, no name for God uh, more tender or more affectionate than calling him our Abba Father. Um, and of all the prayers of Jesus that we have recorded for us, there's only one time uh, when Jesus calls on God as his Abba Father. You know when it is. It's when Jesus is kneeling down in the garden, and it says that his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. And he says, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. I realize that as we suffer, suffering brings us to the place where um, we're really confronted with deciding whether we're going to keep fighting and trying to keep our own will, uh, or whether we're going to accept the Father's will for us and take the cup that he has for us. And I think it's in that moment that we decide whether we're going to live in fear or whether we're going to live as sons. And if we choose to live as sons, then um, we get to know God as our Abba Father in that moment. Uh, and that's what Romans 8 tells us. It says that God has not given to you the spirit of fear or the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that's the truth of suffering, uh, is that suffering hurts, suffering cuts to a deep place, but it also gives you the opportunity to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live in the spirit of adoption, and I'm going to trust you as my Abba Father. And getting to know God that way 
uh, even though it hurts, it's worth it. Uh, the second thing is about fatherhood. Um, it was so amazing getting to hold David for the first time. Uh, and I thought back to um, the story in Exodus, the beginning of the book, when it says that Moses' mother decided to hide him because she looked and saw that he was a beautiful child. And I remember when I held my son that um, that's just what all moms and dads think. Uh, probably Moses could have uh, looked like a little baboon. And his mom would have still said that he was beautiful. Because that's the heart that we have for our children. And they are beautiful, aren't they? Uh, the seven hours that we got to spend with David on this side of the womb um, were the seven most precious hours in my life. And I can't think of what I wouldn't be willing to trade to have one of those hours back. Because I love my son. But the truth of the gospel is that our Father gave his son for us. And any suffering that Chris and I felt or any desire that we have to see our son again is just a fraction of a taste of the suffering that our Father must have felt and of the desire that he had for his son. When his son cried out and said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. But the Father gave him the cup anyway. And if I learned nothing else from getting to hold David, I learned this, that my father loves me because God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of the gospel. And don't ever forget that. And don't ever forget how much it cost the father to give his son for you. That's also what Romans 8 tells us. Um, Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even seated at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you. This is the last thing that I have to share, and uh, it's about our hope. And I thought of this uh, a lot on the day when we uh, laid David's little body in his grave on Good Friday. I've thought about it a lot since. I'm so thankful to know, I'm thrilled to know, that my little boy is in the presence of God now because Jesus opened the gates of heaven so that we could enter in. 
but the truth is that's not our greatest hope and that's not the end of David's story. Uh, because getting to go to heaven when we die, even though it's more amazing than we can imagine, that's not redemption. Resurrection is redemption. Um, and we can't ever forget that when we preach the gospel, we're not preaching the gospel of getting to go to heaven when you die. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And our kingdom has a king. And our king's coming back. As it says in the prophets, one day he's going to plant his foot on the Mount of Olives with the army of his holy ones with him, and the mountain will be split underneath his feet. And the dead will be raised. And that's what our hope is. Our hope isn't in going to heaven when we die, even though that's amazing, and that would be enough. But our hope is that Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to be our redeemer. And he's going to say, behold, I make all things new. Don't ever forget that hope.